and welcome to another episode of Uzo Keeps. This time we are in 2004. This is a tournament that it's the happiest tournament and it's also the saddest tournament. Um, personally, this is the first tournament that I remember watching and it was the first tournament that I remember falling in love with Portugal. So... Excuse me if I get a little bit sentimental on this podcast because uh, the previous tournaments I've went back and sort of watched and revisited. And yeah, it was just a tournament for me that that made me, well, me I was saying me go out and buy a Portugal kit. I was too young. I was eight years old at the time. I uh, persuaded my mum to get me a Portugal kit, which she did. And the Portugal flag, uh, which she also did. And... Uh, Your mum's a saint. <laughs> yeah, that got well. I told you the story on the on the uh, off air. So basically, she used to work in Liverpool City Centre, and next door was a sports shop that's no longer open now, JJB Sports, and they sold like different flags. Big when the Euros and World Cups and stuff were on, they have all like the fan merchandise and you know for people to put up when they're having parties and for like pubs and stuff, and. Um, I asked for a Portugal flag as well, and um, and I think she thought it was just to put up, like in my room, like on the wall or whatever. And um, yeah, I think like at night time, I I hung it out the window and uh, like pulled the window back so it stayed. And the next day, I don't think she she noticed it until the next day, like leaving the house and then walking back up the street and seeing this big Portugal flag hanging out the window, and it was huge as well. It was like seven foot. Uh, seven foot long by like maybe three foot wide. So, uh, yeah, that was hanging out. <laughs> I hanging out in my house, and um, yeah, it was just. I people always ask me, and like you may have heard on on other podcasts and stuff when people say like, so what is it that got you into Portuguese football? And they usually expect it to be some sort of like family connection or, or whatever, but they, there's literally none of that there. It was just the tournament. I don't know whether with it being in Portugal as well, and just seeing like the different stadiums and just seeing everything about it, the way it was packaged, the way it was like, it just looked. It was amazing. The ball, so I, cool. Oh, yeah, like everything. The boots, the Portugal kit, like that kit. That's still I have that kit now in in two different adult sizes. I've still got the 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 kit that I've I I had the, my first ever Portugal kit. Another have. thing that I loved about the kit was, at least was the first time I noticed, it was when they had like the little detail of who was playing against who. Like on the top yes. of the kit in golden yeah. uh, letters. Like the, oh, the, oh the I would love that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because the, 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 um, it was like the total 90 area and they had the, the numbers on the front in the circle and the yeah. and then the, the Figo had the boots with the 90 uh, the top 90, oh my word, just everything, basically everything about it, longest introduction ever, but this this tournament for me was just incredible, and obviously we know how it ended, and we'll you know definitely dive into that, but yeah, just thought, with it being the first tournament that I've really had memories from, and the one that actually sort of sparked me, my love for, for Portugal, and you know, as a kid, you, you don't think it at the time, but kids get interested in things and they go through phases and they, you know, they like a certain team or they like a certain like musical artist or whatever, or a TV program. And as you sort of grow up, you go in and out of phases. And I don't know, this it was just something that 
stuck with me forever and it never left <laughs> if anything it, it got even more obsessive as I got older it was just this tournament just means so much to me I think in terms of the, without this tournament I probably wouldn't be running Prosimijonada I probably wouldn't be interested in Portuguese football so this one was was the big one so yeah Philippe memories of this tournament but what let's take people back down memory lane yeah, it was it was obviously at the time I was living in Portugal with my family and it was all the what everyone was talking about. So I had like a little routine which finishing school and buying the newspaper and just spend like reading the newspaper like any team would play. <laughs> and like I remember checking the news. I didn't I didn't like watching the news obviously at the time I was 12 or 11. <laughs> and checking the news, and I remember being like, everything was about all the French teams he done is in Portugal, and then the English would come, and it would be everything involving the tournament. Going to Lisbon was absolutely crazy because it's like the fan zones and people they've never seen before. Like, would be walking in Lisbon and listen to languages that I never <laughs> would have listened otherwise. <laughs> so overall, it was just it was just amazing. And then how. Not how it started and not how it ended, but the run through the final obviously was amazing. So everyone was super involved in the team. Not even even people that were not big fans of football, they would still be watching every game, and everyone became like a, a expert <laughs> in football. <laughs> and football yeah, nothing. yeah, all the games. I remember like. Sometimes school would stop earlier for us to watch the games, like any game they would put on the on the TV for for anyone to want to watch to watch them. So it was just it was just amazing. Like the whole experience of having a tournament like that in your country is is great. The only shame was I not able to make to watch any games. That was the only sad part, but still it was yeah. very very fun. I can fully imagine. And it, as I say, we've um, I've spoken to. A couple of different journalists and stuff who, who were there who were a lot more experienced than I am and and also I say people who, who took a trip into Lisbon and and went and watched and met people and you know supporters who were there and and as you say it seemed like the whole country just got swept up into this sort of fever this 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 football and fever and and we can't really skip rather than just going in straight into the tournament we can't skip past this because the importance of having the tournament is is vital because as you say in the last episode Philippe you made a really good point in about 2000 Euro 2000 that in 1999 when Portugal were first bidding for for the 2004 tournament being granted that tournament and and hearing the word Portugal as the winning bid sort of read out is such a huge moment not just for the not just for Portugal what's happening on the field but the organisation of the federation up until then, which hadn't been, you know, sort of the greatest. And then it it almost, it was like, right, we need to sort it out now. We need, we need to get it together because this country, you know, this country now, which is today, a population less than 11 million people, this tiny country in comparison to others, is hosting the biggest European football party, you know, on the continent. And that, Knowing that, as you say, walking past people and hearing different accents and different voices and people that you'd never, you know, you'd never expect to bump into, it was just such a historic moment, I think. And and 
Yeah, and one that really opened doors for what Portugal is today, because at mm -hmm. the time, I don't remember people from other countries going visiting Lisbon regularly. Now is something very trendy, and obviously a lot of people go to watch Lisbon, Porto, not just the Algarve. But at the time, the only yeah. uh, tourist they would be, they would go to Algarve. Not many would go to, to Lisbon. So yeah. it, it made open the doors as, for people watching Portugal in a different way. And then obviously made a big impact in, well, we don't speak about that on, on the podcast, but about the politics and, and how kind of good was yeah. the years after the year until until 2008. So that made a big impact as well in how people yeah. lived. And if you had a business, you were quite happy <laughs> at the time. And then everything that happened yeah, until yeah. the tournament to start, obviously with Porto winning the Champions League, the uh, in 2003 winning the, the UEFA Cup, Boavista at the time as well, making the semi-finals in 2003. Uh, sporting yeah. uh, winning the league not long not, not long ago. It was in 2002, the last one. So everyone was feeling very positive about this. Kind of not more thinking of this golden generation that was coming to an end, but watching these players that really no one until two or three years before knew about them. So Deco was not a big player at the time. You had players like Paul mm -hmm. Ferreira, Nuno Valente, Ricardo Carvalho. They were not youngsters, but until 2002, when Mourinho took charge of Porto, no one really paid attention to them. Yeah. So that make a big impact as well to people believe, okay, we have a team that can fight for something after obviously 2002 in the World Cup. There was a, <laughs> a disgrace a in every single level. <laughs> Everything from the... Well, that's that's. I was going to come back to that before because... We speak about like winning the bid and the professionalism, putting together the tournaments, and it's almost like between winning the winning the bid and hosting the tournaments in two thousand and four, what happened in two thousand and two in between is just so bizarre that that sort of sits in between those two moments because, as you say, come two thousand and four, it was like the preparation was spot on, everything was like done right. You only have to go two years previous, and for those don't don't know about the World Cup in 2002. And this isn't even just centred on Portugal either. If those that you know don't know about the World Cup in 2002 in general, which was in Asia, go and read about it. I mean, the whole tournament, there's a reason not many people really speak about that tournament looking back now. Um, but for Portugal also, it was, uh, as you say, I, I think you summed it up perfectly there, Philippe. It was a disaster on every level possible. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong, did um yeah. <laughs> we literally j jump forward as you say 2003 Porto beats Celtic in the in the uh, in the UEFA Cup final in Seville if I, if I remember right and then yeah. 2004 in Gelsenkirchen we beat AS Monaco in the final as you say players like Deco who, who had it was a really under the radar sort of time at, at um at, at Benfica he was sort of a judge to not be good enough and um, there was lots of Jose Mourinho came in sort of had these players that, you know, perhaps he could make fight for the badge. But as you say, they weren't household names. I mean, Philippe, going into the the European Championships, you, you mentioned yeah, quite rightly just, the age there. Yeah, yeah. just just one thing, because there was a good point, and I, I was going to speak about it, and I completely forgot. It was with Mourinho came the second Portuguese revolution in football. Because if you think in uh, late 80s, early 90s, with Queiroz was the first one to looking at football, especially the the youth system in a way to improve the players. And obviously with Mourinho yeah. came the tactical periodization, which was a completely different way at the time to see football and see 
the training process and that made a big impact as well. Not in this uh, 2004 directly because it was not Scolari that did it, but most of the players and important players went through Mourinho uh, that year and the year before. So yeah, that made a big, big impact in, in how well they were prepared for everything that would happen in a game. And obviously, we're going to speak about it later, but that's the only way that you have a player like Deku playing as a right back against England and doing a job because his understanding of the game was in a different level. You would not yes. put that Rui Costa doing that uh, in 2000 because then the understanding about the game was different and that was the revolution of Mourinho at the time. The, the It's that deeper level, isn't it? It's, it's going beyond your sort of position, this strict uh, where you play on the pitch and tactically this is you know this is what you do and you stick to it as you say the the training the principles everything that went went through giving players this deeper level of understanding of of not only how to to play football when you've got the ball at your feet but tactically where to be when you haven't got it um I, as you say, that's a really really good point because that itself is such a, a massive moment in portuguese football um there's some really good literature out on that as well to be honest there was a, a book just a little plug because I plugged Tom's book in the in the previous uh, article. The um, George George Race George Kudu Race actually uh, he's a uh, he's the I think he's the tactical techno technical director at Barcelona, and so his his book I'll put a little link it actually in the description is fantastic. I mean it's quite. It's quite a sort of like literature heavy. It's good, you know. It's it, it reads like you know a dissertation. It's not so. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not an easy read. Um, but, but for it's, someone it's, that likes football and um, likes yeah. because there's the people that just enjoy watching football, which is great, and there's the people that are more and more appearing, uh, which is like to watch football and understanding what's happening in the moment, and then you have the people that like to understand what's happening and like to know more about how he got to that point. And yes. reading that and reading Vitor Fradi is, is great because ev- basically the theory is that everything you do in the training ground should involve your tactical principles. So fitness needs to be in connection with your, with your way of watching the game. Uh, psychology needs to be in the same way that you're watching the game. All of that involving, so every session that you would plan would be involving what will be happening in the match at this moment and what do I want to happen in this session. And that's great <laughs> yeah yeah as you say the, some people like to look at football you know there's, there's there's different ways that you can look at football but definitely we recommend and i'll put i'll put some um, i'll put some links in into the description i'll get back to um i'll get back to to sort of 2004 and as you say just to go through some of the ages carefully paulo Ferreira was 25 deck 26 Obviously, you've got the likes of uh, Samal. He had that injury in 2002. He was out for like six months, ruled him out of the World Cup. And he was he was in some fine form going into that. Uh, he was only 21, 22 at the time. So this was uh, this was the tournament that he showed sort of who I am. And then, as you yeah. say, George Andrade, 26. Um, but as you say, the, the, the blend of the team, Philippe, because it was... A lot of people will still credit 2004. They think, you know, when you think of the golden generation, the two names that you think of really are Luis Figo and Rui Costa. Because both of them were there, you can sort of be tricked into thinking, oh yeah, it was like the... But really, the golden generation is 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 done. And this is like this new... Yeah. 
as you say, new strange generation because it, it isn't it isn't a generation full of 18, 19, and 20 year olds. It's as you say, it's players that they weren't household names up until you know, a year before the tournament started. Uh, as you say, winning the UEFA Cup with, with Porto and then the, obviously the established names were abroad. But I think the likes of, of those players that we mentioned before, the, the likes of Ricardo Cavallo, Paulo Ferreira, Deco, coming into the four at, at the right time. And then we saw what happened to those players after it. You know, Barcelona, Chelsea, uh, you know, playing in, in, in quarters, semi-finals, finals of Champions Leagues and, you know, winning domestic titles. But um, 2004 had this real, it was not not strange, strange isn't the right word, but the generations perhaps weren't, weren't as like hyped and the players, you know, that sort of caught our eye in 2000 that were, were sort of, you know, going into the 30s. But I feel like they had a really good mix, a good blend. And then obviously there's the one player we haven't mentioned so far is a is a young 19-year-old uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I don't know what ended up happening to him after that. Um <laughs> Philippe, you got any idea what he got up to after this tournament? Completely lost track. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I think he may have went on to um, score the most goals in Portugal uh, history, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, and win a shed load of Ballon d'Ors in. in the book, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come to him. Yeah, it is true. No, but yeah, it's basically the Porto um, winning team that's the base from this team. And then they add up a few little pieces from uh, some players, out, uh, especially abroad. Uh, but basically, it's, it's Porto team. And yeah, like you said, the true golden generation now is only Fernando Couto, Figo and Rui Costa. Everyone else who was no longer here. And it was thanks to, to Porto there they were able to to make such a great tournament at the end. But yeah, let's go for the first game. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a good start. <laughs> so the first game, well, you start and the end point uh, often meet. And Portugal started the tournament with a defeat to Greece and they ended the tournament with a defeat to Greece. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. The first game <laughs> against Greece, the only goal for, for Portugal that day was... Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, uh, his first goal in a European uh, sort of competition, and uh, he's now is he the joint? He has the joint most goals in European competition. Yeah, joint with Platini with nine. Well, yeah, Platini, who we spoke about in 1984, that went yeah, absolutely yeah. mental. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the, the they started off against Greece. Greece at this point were considered, you know, just the same way that you'd really consider Greece now is is going for the tournament as sort of rank outsiders and they, they started off it was Portugal's first game of the tournament kicking off home nation um, and it ends in a 2-1 defeat Philippe just take me back to do you remember that yeah. game Be- I remember just- very well um, because he obviously was everyone was waiting and for, for this game to start Greece was really seen as they would be happy if they would score a goal in the tournament <laughs> that was their objective was trying to get a point and score a goal that was done with seven minutes with Karagounis which at the time was probably the biggest player uh, from Greece they had a few players that later played in Portugal like Karagounis played in Portugal for Benfica Fisas would go and play for Benfica as well Saitaridis would go and play for for Porto uh, Katsuranis went to Bifik as well, so so there's a, quite a strong Portuguese connection here. But yeah, it was the game there. He was still trying not to play too many Porto players. And I, I think there was obviously a mistake, and we can see it now. 
But same thing that happened, and we speak in the later episodes of the podcast in 16, which was trying to find a core of players that already know each other very well. In this side, mm-hmm. from the Porto core center that we were speaking, really was only Jorge Andrade, who's not at Porto anymore, but, but still had a strong connection. Paulo mm-hmm. Ferreira, they ended up not doing a very good tournament. Then he had Costinha and, and Manish. So there was still a big part here. <laughs> Obviously, Deck <laughs> not playing was a, <laughs> a very big mistake. But yes, until the goal of Caragunis, even in the first half, Portugal was not was not a great game, to be fair. And everyone felt a bit deflated uh, after the game, which was, okay, uh, the dream might not be <laughs> possible anymore because obviously we had Spain in a group as well and everyone's thinking we're going to lose to Spain. And we lost Spain against Greece. As well. uh, yeah. Yep, Spain would won against against Russia later that day, and everyone thought, okay, the the dream might be over sooner <laughs> than expected. After the game, it was it, which is quite a, an interesting moment. And this was, to be honest, this was something I I didn't I didn't know about until I read it in the um, in in that thirteenth chapter book that I, I keep alluding to, is um, Scolari paying tribute to the to the Portuguese fans in the stadium after the game um, for refusing to boo the team, basically. So although it was this disappointing result, it was almost like the Portuguese fans didn't didn't want at that point to sort of admit defeat and think, right, this is over because we'd spent so long planning and preparing and also just, as you say, gearing yourself up. It's the first game of the tournament. You know, this big party football is here it's in Portugal and and it starts off like this it's so easy at that point to I think you know think especially pessimistic which sometimes Portuguese supporters can be uh, and I include myself in that as well um, because you know I think when it comes to international football I am and adopted him and, and adopted because I, I still have that same sort of mentality that sometimes I'm a little bit too pessimistic but um yeah, he, but yeah he, and, and Scolari, just to add up one thing there, because he's actually a, a very good point. Scolari, then the, um, a very big PR move, which was asking people to put flags on, on the on the windows and everyone would have a flag <laughs> of Portugal in the window. And That's this game, <laughs> being at Porto, it was... Uh, yeah, like you, you were listening to him. Uh, <laughs> this game being at Porto could have been... T- a, could have taken a, a drastic turn the other way around because obviously Portugal lost and there was a big argument for Scolari not to take uh, Jorge Costa, but even more important, uh, Vitor Bahia, which was the, the yes. goalkeeper from the team that won the Champions League and he was not yeah. even on the, on the 23. So it was a big, big move um, at the time that a lot of Porto fans didn't understand and, and to be fair, is understandable not to understand because obviously Ricardo had a, 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 was a very good goalkeeper, but then he took Kim, which was a good keeper for Braga. But then he took uh, Moreira as well. Uh, yeah. At the time, was a, was a, a very young, yeah, uh, from Benfica, not finding a place for Vitor Bahia, another player from this golden generation and had so much history. Could have been a very <laughs> dangerous move, but um, he ended up working. Um, well, not perfectly, <laughs> but good enough. <laughs> well, especially in that England game, it was. Uh... <laughs> well, we'll come to that. But, but as I say, just I think the not sort of admitting defeat at that point, but thinking right, okay, we've got a blip. We've had a little blip. We we need to get over it. Tournament football, you can't really think about where things went wrong. You've just got to move on to the next game, and and that's um that's exactly what Portugal did. They they knew. 
you know, in the in the next game, they needed to to be comfortable. They needed to s- sort of get themselves a clean sheet, get the defense, bit of confidence back, and also you know score a couple of goals and try and use some of the attack and talent that they had. And uh, the second group game against Russia, it was a win, uh, a two 0 win. Goals courtesy of Manish and Hui Costa, and. Yeah, it was it was it was just a win that Portugal needed because you think at that point there, Felipe, as you say, the opening game it takes so much. It takes it's almost like the wind, sort of, you know, in the sails. It's like oh my god, the first game defeat, not only defeat, defeat to the team that are coming here to try and score a goal. We've just conceded twice, lost the game, and with the host nation, it can so quickly turn so sour. Uh, you need to get focus, you know. Make sure that you can gain some momentum, and the 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 game itself was was um was dominant was was completely dominant. The game against Russia, it wasn't just sort of the two goals. It was because score quite early on. It was you know within the first ten minutes, maybe seven or eight minutes in Manish, and then um Rui Costa made sure later on. Uh, although the game was at one 0 for for a while, in yeah, and Russia was it, playing with ten uh, of Shinikov, the the goalkeeper got sent off. Yes, um, at yeah, the yeah. end of the of the first half. First half, but yeah, it, it was it was one of the games that we had so many chances. But the, for me, the two most important things from this game was uh, Miguel and Deck starting. So Miguel for the place of Paul Ferreira, uh, because at this time Miguel was a, <laughs> a very very strong right back that could go up on the pitch very well, and they allow Fig to come in. And then Deku, because Deku at his time was the best player in the world. So he had to he had to play. He was absolutely uh, amazing. So those were the two big changes. And in Russia, this Russia team was miles away from the Russia that we'd see in 2008 after. Uh, they had some good players. Uh, Alenichev was a, was a good, probably the best Russian player at his time. Uh, they had then Ismailov as well, which was quite young at the time. And for people that don't remember Ismailov, I just remember the the injured Ismailov from Porto and, and Sporting when he was younger and at this tournament he was the only shining star from from <laughs> Russia. And but yeah, it was was an easy game. It was still not not the perfect game. They didn't play very very well, Portugal, and it was dangerous by just winning one 0 until quite late on. If Russia would have a bit of luck with with Karzakov, could could have scored. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the emotions would come later in the next game. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> so the next game, this is this is the do or die game, really, because not only is it this is a must win, it comes against none other than Spain, the Iberian neighbours who've had to travel to visit this footballing party. You know, they were looking to to gay crash it. They were looking to 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 get their job done and yeah, and ensure their passage. Funny story, which I know we're going to come to in a minute, Philippe, and I'll let you tell it. The uh, the famous, the famous uh, Carlos Puyol um, <laughs> story. We'll 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 leave it until until uh, until we just go through the game. So the Scolari was sort of G and everyone up. Um, it was at the uh, Alvalade in in Lisbon Sporting Stadium, and it was the tension. And this, I remember this game like vividly, and I remember feeling. The tension as like an eight year old boy from Liverpool in England, thinking, 
oh my god, please, 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 like, please win. You know, I, I'm going into school on own clothes days in a full Portugal kit while everyone's got an England kit on. Portugal cannot go out in the group stages. I, I look a fool. I'd, I'd sort of nailed my colours to the uh, to, to the mast. And, um, yeah, go into the game with... Um, with with everything basically the the lineup was was pretty much identical i think the only change was was the one that everyone in portugal was <laughs> begging uh, to make which was simão alto and ronaldo in uh, um, apart from that yeah was the was the the strongest team against uh, spain the a draw against uh, greece so we would start being a bit scared of uh, of this team <laughs> that we had to be careful about um and then Spain, yeah, yeah, it's such a good team. They at the time they had one of my favorite players, which was Fernando Torres, was very young at the time, uh, El yeah. Nino, and um, I was very scared oh, of him. I have quite a cool story about this. So I was watching the game at home with my mom, and my dad had always the thing that big games. My dad is a big sporting fan, so every big game from sporting and from Portugal, he would go to a different room to watch the game in an old TV. He had to be uh, the the old TV would only come out for big games, and this was one. And at the time, I was playing. I was playing for a, a club, uh, Stubal, and under twelves. And that season was quite good for me, so I was quite happy. And my mum wanted to watch a lot of games, so my mum said, told me, and I was I was a right back. And my mum told me that every time the ball would go close from me, she would get so nervous that she should close her eyes. So we were like start doing the same thing for this Portugal tournament. So until like COVID happened and I rewatch all the games, I never knew what would happen in the last third of the pitch. <laughs> so every time Spain and from there on, every single team, they would get close from uh, our box. We would close our eyes. So I, I, half of the time I wouldn't see the telly. So I would have to listen <laughs> if my dad would be like upset or not in the other room to know if Spain would, would score. <laughs> Score. Wow, what a story that is! And so the way it stems from you playing football, but like that is that is mental. I mean, I, I, I know you made some. It's almost like hide behind the couch moments when, especially when you know you're screaming at the TV, like to hold on, as you say, when teams go on the attack. And doesn't it feel like, Philippe, and people listen to this who, who are obviously also supporters of Celso, when you're watching and like. Um, when you're watching like any other game or like you know a neutral game or, or whatever it may be, you're just there just for like you know the, the 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 performance and you actually analyze the game a lot better I think when it's when it's a neutral game because you the emotions aren't getting in there you know they're not feeding into your perception of the game. When I watch a Portugal game, I feel like every single attack the opposition have they're gonna score from, which is like <laughs> if you were a neutral watching the game, like if you're watching the game and you had a neutral sitting next to you. Some of the reactions and some of the things that you're doing when you're watching the game, a neutral would look at it and go, they're about 30 yards from goal. There's no open pass on. There's there's no chance. But as you say, whenever they sort of cross the halfway line, it's like, yeah, you get oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I feel like that. It, it, it is funny when, when you watch a game and you analyse it from like a neutral perspective and you think, hey, they had some good chances there. Or, you know, they, they didn't really trouble the opposition. When you watch a Portugal game, I and again I think it's just that pessimism. Whenever they go into half time, if it's if it's nil nil, or even when Portugal are one nil up, I think oh, we were lucky there. You know, we were lucky. And then I look at the stats and I'm like, they had zero shots on target. Like, <laughs> what was I worried about? The goal Nuno Gomes receives a pass um from Luis Figo. The I mean, even now when I watch it, I'm thinking you He's know, not gonna go in. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, give it back to him. 
like because because Figo makes makes the run, and um, you know he's the captain, and you're thinking give the return pass, and he just turns and and it's this low driven shot, and in goal is none other than than Ica Casillas, who obviously would have his own story in, in Portugal, come to Porto towards the end of his career. But that shot, even now when I'm watching it, as you say, Philippe, you're thinking it's not going to go in. It's not going to go in. It's the same sort of feeling I get when I watch Ed Air's shot. Yeah. When it's like <laughs> that drag shot across the floor and you're thinking, oh, you, why have you done that? Why do you not just give it back to, to Figo? And then it hits the back of the net and then the anxiety really does kick in because for the rest of that game, and my heart I, was, I couldn't watch. Especially oh when they put Morientes in and they have like Morientes, Raul, Torres, oh. <laughs> all going forward. And I was like, oh, this is not going to work. And then there's like the best story of these heroes, which is Nun Gomes in a corner telling Puyol, <laughs> don't worry, we both go through, he don't need to score. <laughs> when Nun Gomes knew at the time that there was a lie, Spain was out, but he was too much under pressure. So that's a great story. <laughs> Literally going into 50-50, and I'm gutted, I said this to you last time, I am gutted I didn't ask Nuno about this when I, when I had the chance to interview him, because... Uh, just for some reason, just completely forgot to ask, and and um, as you say, I think that going into fifty fifties and and it being quite you know anxious last moments, and him just just pulling Puyol to the side and just a little weird in the air, just like tell your boys to calm down, like it's cool. yeah. we're both going through, like we're both the calm and the like, nerves that you need to be like be yeah. serious, be like yeah, don't <laughs> worry, we both go through. Yeah, we're fine. Tell like, everyone to ex- chill. Yeah, don't exert yourself because you're gonna need your legs in the next round. And Poyo's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll tell the boys, don't worry. And it's like the whole time, <laughs> no one turned around. and went, what? We're not going through. Yeah. And, Only a few minutes know. later, you see Puyol like turning to the bench to to Kamash and be like, "Are we going through?" And they were like, "No, no, no, no. We need to score. We need to score." <laughs> legend, absolute legend, <laughs> mate. Oh my word. And um, so. It was almost like that first game against Greece had been forgotten because sort of those um, that threatening to sort of gate crash the party. It's like right, okay, well, you may before the tournament started, you may have expected Portugal to, or, you know, Portuguese expectation maybe get a win against Greece, get a win against Russia, and then whatever sort of happens in in the game against Spain, it's sort of like you know maybe it's almost like a a, a buy if they can sort of get a good result, brilliant. If not, Portugal probably going to go through as a second place runners up anyway. Um, but then as you say, it it goes in the other order. It's um it's a defeat against Greece, uh, but then managed to get the job done against both Spain and Russia. And next up, who have we got next? We've got <laughs> it's the best game ever. With the best game, we've got Sven Goran Eriksson's own uh, golden generation, and this is where the go- this is where England's golden generation really sort of kicks in. We obviously we love coming back to the Portugal England games, and there was one in two thousand. We mentioned the the team that was that was there. It was sort of like the old guard, um, but this time round, Beckham, Gerrard, Scholes, you know, in the peak to forwards, you had. Wayne Rooney just came out of the blocks like a man possessed. I mean, still even now, watching clips of sort of old Wayne Rooney, he was just an absolute animal. Absolute Their group beast. stage of, of Rooney is, is incredible. He's if I honestly think if he doesn't, obviously for 
who doesn't know, but he gets injured quite early with it, like half an hour or something. Uh, the method method arsenal he does. Yeah, yeah. George Andrade keeps keeps him. going down. Yeah, yeah. and holding. Uh, but if 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 he, that doesn't happen, he's fit for the the rest of the game. I don't think Portugal yeah. goes through. He was in a different level. He was just fearless, and as you say, the the injury was the best thing that sort of happened to Portugal because that's you know that 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 strike force him and him and Michael Owen um, was just absolutely ridiculous. And then obviously Sven Goran Eriksson, a man who has his own ties to Portugal, you know during his time at Benfica, he's actually credited with sort of revolutionising Benfica and especially the football. Sort of at the time when he came in, there was a you know there was a big change and. You know, revered for that for that period that, that that part of his career. A lot of people just now will remember him for obviously what happened in sort of the later years and as as England boss and stuff. Yeah, they they beat Switzerland three 0 in the group. They beat Croatia four two. So France as well, which two last gasp, you know, Zidane uh, goals. But going into the game is just unbelievable. Well, I think we. Brought- we, we, we shouldn't feel anything but optimism because like we are good more than good enough to beat the Portuguese for a start. We ain't got nothing really to worry about. I think the fact that we're more favourites to beat them um, it makes makes me a bit nervous about it because um, you know because I'm just a fan and I'm quite, and because we should beat them. I, I just hope we will. Mm. You know, Peter. I, I suppose if you're looking at one disadvantage, England have had one less day to prepare. I don't even know where to start with the game, to be honest, because it was just... Start with the amazing goal of Michael Owen, which is <coughs> a great finish on on the turn. It receives the, the ball. Pirouette. Yeah, the it pirouette. is a, a little <laughs> turn uh, just with the left foot on the floor and then a little, a little touch yeah, with, with the right <laughs> foot that goes over Ricardo. That's an amazing goal. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then, to be fair, it was a weird game. I think England was always uh, better than Portugal. Portugal actually tried... He had a hard time to create. I think the moment that changes is when, for some reason, and I would love to ask him that, is he took the, um, Sven takes uh, Paul's calls and puts Phil Neville in. And and then I think that gave a bad message to England and a very positive one for, for Portugal. Because at the time, Portugal had changed anything. Um, to be like, okay, uh, we can go, <laughs> we can push forward, and from that moment on, all substitutions from Portugal are very offensive. So very, he takes, very offensive. He takes Costinha <laughs> and puts Simon Sabrosa. He knows, well, they're not going to attack. They in the front there was Michael Lewin, Darius Vassell. Neither of them are nil for their incredible pace. Neither Beckham, neither Lampard, neither Gerard. Yeah, yeah. So there was no threat on going behind. So he takes uh, Costinha out to put another winger. And then he takes Miguel out to put Rui Costa and that goes as a right back. Uh, in the between, he takes Figo and puts uh, Pustiga, another striker. So, watching the last 15 minutes of this game is like you don't you don't really understand how Portugal's playing. Is everyone going forward? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> actually gung-ho, isn't it? Hoping something amazing happens and he, the first thing that happens is the goal from, from Pustiga. Second ball comes in. Oh, must be a goal. And would you believe it? It's Postiga of Tottenham Hotspur. Which is quite cool as well because the cross comes. And I think it was Postiga saying this story, which is when the cross is coming, he doesn't see the beginning of the cross, so he doesn't move because he's touching his hair. 
and you see on the replay, he's touching his head for, <laughs> I don't know why, but that makes his reaction later. But being late and moving late, they end up being completely free to have the ball. And yeah, I just that, remember everyone later. going bananas and celebrating. I felt my street was in the it was, stadium. It was, it, it was nice that it was that it was him as well because he'd had such a terrible time. Terrible time at Spurs, in, yeah. It, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, one or two goals. It was just an absolutely torrid time for him. But, but yeah, he, he wasn't finished. And then... England, actually, the celebrations. I and mean, when you watch it back in the stadium, England have got very, very, like, very good vocal support in the stadium. Um, lots of people in there. Goes absolutely mental when uh, when Sol Campbell scores a header. Yeah, which is then ruled out uh, for a foul on on Hado, uh, the goalie, and extra time beckoned. And uh, you know, even now when you speak to you know when this game is sort of discussed, and you hear, wow. It wasn't a foul, you know, that, that should have been given. And uh, obviously, I'm just like, fingers in my ears, like, yeah, well, it wasn't given, so <laughs> you just need to get on with it. You know, it, it is what it is. And um, as you say, this is this was England's, like, this this generation was, was the generation that needed to win a trophy. Like, this is the generation that was going to win something for England. And, and um, so coming up against, you've just played Spain uh, in, a, in, a, in a do-or-die game, and now you're coming up against... You know, England, who just to go through the squad, absolutely sort of ridiculous team. Because it's Rui Costa. Despairing challenge by Philip Neville. Oh, Rui Costa. That's certainly over the line. It nearly burst the net. He's moving, and, and Phil Neville is, if, if, you, if you haven't watched the goal, if you haven't saw it in some time, definitely go and watch it. Oh, such um, a good goal. <laughs> He's he's just travelling with it, and it's like Phil Neville's like next to him like a pest. He's just trying to sort of get rid of him, and then Costa manages to just find this extra sort of gear. Phil Neville like I think he goes rolling away, like he falls to the side and just like hits the floor. It looks like when you know like someone jumps out of a car when it's moving and just sort of rolls, and and Hui Costa just carries on like like the moving car, and then hits just. An absolute thunderbolt and uh, 110th minute and you're thinking, it's 10 done. minutes to go, it's <laughs> yeah. finished, it's done, here we go, we're, you know, we're, we're going into the next round, we've managed to get past this wonderful England t- team and then... And just one just one thing on that on, yeah. on that Ricosta goal, which is how unfair uh, the gods are for Ricosta, which is, this is la- his last goal for in the Portugal shirt. But no one remembers like his goal so how good he was because then late on the penalties he misses his penalty. And and it's like why wouldn't the last image of Ricosta would be this goal? <laughs> it would it would make so much more sense than watching him missing a penalty. Missing a pen. Yeah. I mean if that was the goal that takes takes him through. Imagine if it was a golden then, goal. Like y- yes. It, it could it could oh, be done my. there. And uh, you know, the next day on the f- you know, imagine if it doesn't go to penalties and and um and they don't and then obviously we'll we'll move on to it in a minute. Don't want to spoil it, but imagine if that doesn't happen. You know what I'm referring to. Uh, uh, the next day, the front cover, uh, whether it be Echord, Avola, or Jog, they all have pictures of his celebration. It would be him. It'd be yes, just that absolutely iconic kit, the boots, the hair, the celebration, the man, the moment. But instead, <laughs> is, is him playing in Stade de Luz as well. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. was perfect to, perfect to finish yeah. in that moment. But well, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> then you have Frank uh, Lampard's goal from a corner. Frank Lampard comes in and, and, and steals the... And, uh, Portugal's not able to clear a cross. That will play no. a big part later on as well. <laughs> five five minutes to go. And he, uh, he, as I say, Frank Lampard grabs an equaliser and sends the match into a penalty shootout. We've already spoke about Costa, Rui Costa's penalty. He wasn't the only person to put the penalty um, out of the stadium. He <laughs> <laughs> was also David Beckham. Uh, but to be fair on them, the penalty spot, it was oh my word. terrible. It was, like a, it was like a farmer's. It looked like cows had been grazing on it. It was just, And you could see um, he was like, you know, Beckham, Moving his foot along, trying to trying to get it like to make as straight like, as he could. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, there's just no chance here, David. Sorry. Yeah, they 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 both send their shots over. Held a push to get it. Shoney again. He he went done with their. I know. With and you know, he has missing. another great story, which is in a, not long ago in an interview, he spoke about that. And at the time, if Pushtiga misses, Portugal is out. And he does a panenka, a perfect panenka, panenka yeah. by the way, is so good Oof. because of all the stuff flow before the net is is brilliant. But he told in this interview that he didn't know, like at the time, he doesn't know that if Portugal misses, they're out. So that's why he tries it. <laughs> it's he like, thinks, yeah, he thinks that doesn't really goals. matter. He thinks like, okay, even if I fail, we still have a chance. And he's like, it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that's it's that fearlessness, though, isn't it? Like that that you know if. The fearlessness. If how chill you need to be in a stadium with like sixty thousand people in the game, they already had everything to be like. Do you know what? I fancy myself for a little panenka here. (laughs) Look at that! Should I ever have doubted it? (laughs) And then um, Darius Vassell steps forward. And uh, and what happens when he steps forward? Postiga. Oh, look at that! Should I ever have doubted him? Ricardo takes his gloves out, <laughs> and his justification is so bizarre because in all penalties, he he doesn't go the re- the right way. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I need to try something different. And the first thing that came to his mind is like, I'm going to take my gloves out. <laughs> get into his, yeah, I'm going to get into I'm going to get his heavy because I'm going to save it without uh, my gloves. And then you see Vassel like asking the referee, but like, can he do that? Like, can yeah, he take he his can gloves tell it's out? In his head because, yeah. Because and he's he like, and Ricardo he, knows in that moment, be like, okay, if I get the done, right, he's finished. He's, done. he's, he's, gone. he's already yeah, not yeah. thinking about his penalty. He's already moaning about me nope. not having my gloves. Yeah. And Why then, are you worried about me having no hand protection? Yeah, like, like you, if anything, if you if you're confident and in the zone, you'd be thinking, yeah, all right, you've got no gloves on. I'm going to take your hands off with this penalty. But yeah. again, is he? You know, is he? Can he do that? And the referee yeah. is just looking at him like, "Go and take your penalty, mate." <laughs> yeah, it's like one of uh, the best bits of shithousery in the in in the oh, zero. Unbelievable. Um, and then and you know, he was he was just sorry. Just to, before we move off, do you know that was the that Ice Vassell was the only player that that he didn't have any information on for where to go. So as you say, he didn't go the right way. But you know, when they study the notes on the on the players and where they take the penalties and stuff, he um. He he um Ijado actually had an interview with 
in it's in it's in the book. I don't know whether the, the interview is given directly to the book or whether it's an excerpt from like a flash interview or whatever. He said he he studied all of the England players and how they take the penalties, and and Vassell was the only player that he had no uh, no knowledge of. He'd never even he'd never saw him take a penalty ever. Uh, for club or country, had no research on him. Don't know why. Maybe he thought there was no chance that he'd be on the pitch. And um, in 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 that moment again, that feeds into it. Of I haven't went the right way. I haven't got a clue where this guy's gonna go. Uh, let me just, as you say, pull off some shit hours. And he, <laughs> and then yeah, the the second moment, which is when Nun Valent is gonna go and score his penalty, and Ricardo be like, no, no, don't worry, I'll do it. And That's the balls on this guy. It was it was top of the world in that moment. <laughs> he oh, yeah. could do anything. He, yeah, he literally could have. He could he could have he could have saved the penalty with no gloves, scored the winning penalty, and then said to Scolari, "I'm starting up front next game." The confidence <laughs> must have been oozing out of that guy. Like unbelievable. I would love and to know. Um, I would love to be. It would be king, like the second goalkeeper, thinking, ah, "I'm never gonna play again." <laughs> No chance. There's because they're no both chance. 28, so I imagine he's ever like, ah, this 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 Portugal thing is done for me. <laughs> yeah, no, this I'm absolutely finished. How can I compete against this guy? Yeah. This dude no saves a penalty and then scores. Like, what am I doing here now? <laughs> and, then, and then yeah, and then the party in the streets were the, crazy. It's like, like we see, this everyone felt that thing. we won the thing. Up, no one knew were playing against Holland in the next round, but it wasn't even, not even looking towards the semi final because, as you say, that that quarter final alone, you know, with 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 high expectations. I mean, if you get to the if you get to the semi final, you've got to be thinking, you know, this is um, obviously aiming to get to the final and thinking, you know, this Holland team weren't as good as the England team that they just knocked out. So already psychologically, it's a huge boost to have to play a team like England and like that squad and knock them out because then you're actually thinking you're on top of the world. There's no longer the best um the best Dutch team there could be. Um no, yeah, yeah. It was already past past that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had missed the two thousand into World Cup as well. Um I think for the biggest I think everyone's already thinking about the final. And another big moment of celebration was in the in the quarterfinals when uh, Greece uh, wins against France. And be like, okay, if we always lost in the Euros against France, if they're no longer here, it means we win it. <laughs> Who's here I mean? to stop us? <laughs> if they're not here, there's no chance. And everyone was actually thinking, okay, we're going to play the final. Because I don't remember thinking, oh, this game, this semifinal is going to be hard. I think everyone was very convinced that we are better than them. We had more mm-hmm. time to rest, even though we went to penalties. Uh, and looking at that team, they have quite old. They have some youngsters coming up at the time. They had Robin, Snyder. But most of the team was already quite old and heavy. Yeah, Seedorf, Egg yeah. David. So Philip Koku, uh, Just Stam. Overmars. Yeah, Overmars. Well. Um, so everyone was already thinking to the game against Czech Republic, which in these Euros, even though Portugal played some, some sometimes in some moments good stuff, this Czech Republic theme was... Amazing! There was the one of the best national teams oh, I, I Milan ever seen. Was absolutely yeah. on fire. Milan Baros, Nedved. Uh, it was it was it was crazy. They had like the what was the name of the striker? Super tall, um, bald guy. Kula. It was his name. Oh, um, Jan Kola. Yeah, Jan Kola. It was. Yeah, Jan he Kola, could yeah. anything. Him and Baros yeah. made such a a good uh, partnership up front, and everyone was really thinking about about their game already because this game. 
everyone remembers it because obviously uh, Manish's goal, which is uh, in Portugal games, I think is the best goal scoring hero. Um, and no one really saw it live apart from the people in the stadium because I don't know, I guess it was the same type of broadcast, but in Portugal, they were still showing the replay. From he missed the, the goal, didn't he? The, yeah, yeah, from on, the moment before. So, so everyone misses the goal. It the best and, goal that never happened. <laughs> yeah, when they go back on, Manish is already celebrating, and everyone is like, "Did we score?" <laughs> and it won me. Like, what just it happened? We fit the the goal of the tournament as well. For the yeah, Euros because he's, well, he's amazing. So, if people don't don't remember, he's a, a quick a cross, a quick pass from it was a corner, but a quick uh, pass to 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 Manish from Ronaldo, and Manish just has one touch to go outside of his body and. Oh, right foot. Philippe, you're making me want to go and watch it. That and... should, that was the original corner taken quickly. Yeah, because it it's on the it's on the it's on it's on the left hand side, isn't it? And that, as you say, that yeah. pass, that touch, and and that's not anyone in goal. That's not you know that's it's not Van der Sar, which is a giant. It's, it's Edwin Van, yeah, it's Edwin Van der Sar that's in goal. Like who would go on to you know at that point, I think he was yeah United at this point maybe, or was it a little bit after? Um, I think he's still at Fulham at the time. Because it was an the, absolute giant, yeah. But yeah, he was still a very, very good goalkeeper. But but the goal is amazing, and yeah. and then yeah, yeah like uh, they scored by the own goal of of George Andrade. Um, but even after the goal, they they there was never feeling. Obviously, the people got nervous because it's only one one goal lead. But he always have yeah. the feeling, and from what I remember, that Portugal was was quite chilled um, in in the game, and then. <laughs> Can we stop the podcast now and ignore the last game? I'd love to do that, you know. And <laughs> what actually just say it was um, it was the semi final finished, and then it's to be continued, and then we managed to pick it back up again in 2016 and played the final. <laughs> yeah, Portugal could still be today trying to score, oh, and it was still, still not, not able score. to. Seventeen shots compared to Greece's four. Um, Portuguese corners. Portugal had ten. Greece had one. Um, and, and they scored how did they score their goal exactly? <laughs> so it was, it was just oh my word. No, but it Ricardo is... had, a, had always a history about not being able to come out from crosses, <sighs> coming out and claiming being dominant. So um, it was not yeah, surprise. Just a, that final. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you, if you, you if you, if you ever seen or have any idea, but I was there. And um, before the game, obviously Portugal was based in in Alcochete. Um, yeah, and the 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 going from the bus from there to to Lisbon is something incredible. If if you never seen it, then for anyone that's listening that never never saw this, go on YouTube and put like down bus to 2004 Portugal, and literally there was ev- like everyone was there to take the bus from Alcochet to the stadium um, in Lisbon along the road. Was was mental in the, in the in the bridge because for people that don't know there's there's a bridge to go from where they were to to Lisbon in the bridge there was people stopping their cars in the bridge to watch the the bus go there was um, boats going along the bridge to take the bus is is incredible it's actually it amazing and there's a lot of people and some players spoke about it that made them even more nervous and be like look at all these people going out. We cannot let them down. 
and and yeah. some people say that they played a, a big part for for the negative but yeah some of the scenes are, are, are absolutely incredible and then watching this game again the goal from from Caristesi on 57 minutes and in my head at the time I thought it was super late in the game because of that feeling that we were never able to create much it made me believe until I rewatched the game like last year that the goal was so so late in the game yeah, it was on the um, fi- what was it? Fif- just under the, the hour. Yes, yeah, yeah, seven, fifty-seven minutes. Yeah. yeah, had half an hour left. But as you say, Philippe, you hit the nail on the head. They had half an hour left to to try and get an equaliser. But Portugal could still be in the stadium now, and with that, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, it just. I mean, possession, attempts on goal, corners, but it's sometimes you. I don't know. It's 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 hard to describe it, isn't it? It's, it's just, I've never uh, I've never watched the final back ever. So the the my only time I've what even for like the 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 sort of doing the research for this, and obviously we went back and watched the games. I didn't watch it because I thought I know exactly what happens is Portugal should score but don't, and Greece should lose but don't. <laughs> and, <laughs> I and, can uh, hear and, the I, pain in your voice. There's, there's just, there's. there's How much more harder would be doing this podcast if 2016 didn't happen? Because that, because at least with 2004, as you say, you know you're working towards something. You know you can (laughs) get eight and twelve out the way, and and we finally get our hands on the trophy. But ah, mate, I was, I was gutted. I think I told you this was the first time I'd ever cried at football. Poor young Adam. But then Adam did get to celebrate winning the Euros in 2016. And we'll get to that. But for 2004, Philippe, that's, that's it. We're, 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 it's almost like the two... They're the 2000 and 2004 are the two tournaments that everyone sort of remembers in, in, in that era. And then it's sort of like 2008 and 2012 happened. And then before you know it, it's 2016. So, Philippe, as always, a pleasure. Yeah, mate. And see you in 2008. I'll see you in 2008, mate.